Let's do it. Well, good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between the two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call if you happen to be one of our podcast listeners. There you go. Try to make it a little bit easier for you. <laughs> Instead of trying to guess out all the 10,000 area codes they got out there. There you go. Of course, one of these days, we may even actually get an 800 number. That would be great. Well, I talked to Murph about it, and he said it's not, yeah. it's not out of the question. So. Hey, that'd be even better. <laughs> yeah, it'd be even better. But of course, with cell phones and everything like you got nowadays, it's really mostly nationwide free calling. Yep. So not like in the old days. Man, that's long distance. <laughs> <laughs> that was a big old deal. Was, if you can hear us, you can call oh, us. Oh, yeah, yeah, man. You had to. Talk real fast when you was on long distance. Oh, yeah. <laughs> kind of talking code, you That's know? right. Oh, yeah. I remember them days. Absolutely. Hey, go ahead and give us a call. Of course, in case you just don't get a chance to give us a call or something occurred to you during the week. That's right. You can always get your questions answered on our website. And the right. address is www.agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O. Altazan's Garage Company. There's a contact bar there on every page. You can mm-hmm. send Lewis an email any time of the day or night using the form from the site and get your questions answered that way. That's right. And if you reply to an old email, you're just going to get a rude little automated reply. <laughs> <laughs> just says something like, I'm sorry, this website can, this email can only be reached from this website. It'll Correct. give you a link. But it's we just had to go to that because we're getting so, so much spam that I couldn't read the email from my actual listeners. So this has got it back under control. We're getting, I don't know, three, four, five a day. So okay. that's something you can easily handle. There you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah, send that to me. I'll get it back to you within 24 hours. Also, don't neglect the detailed topics section. That's real good information. Tons of those on there. Sometimes it's hard for me to remember because I write those three or four weeks in advance. So i got to right. remember, okay, now what came on this morning? <laughs> right. you got them, got them set up to come on every that's Saturday right. morning. That's right. I think they call it a crone job. It comes on at a specific time and goes on it's got rss feed on that so if you can subscribe to that it'll automatically come to your inbox that's cool mm-hmm. if not you can go in there and read it put one on there this morning i believe it's on cracking flex plates on cars and that's something that does not occur all that often but when it occurs it can be real real hard to figure out what's going on right it gets misdiagnosed it a does lot. well i've seen engines Several putting times. cars but thinking it was a rod knocking because it sounds very much like a rod when the engine's running right and this goes into why and why it happens, what you can do to prevent it from happening, how to cure it. Because I went on the web and I started looking up research to add to the article. And, boy, there's so much misinformation on there. People say, oh, you need to get a heavier-duty flywheel. No, you don't. <laughs> it's designed to go on that engine. Right. Well, and if you know what's causing it and you put a heavier flywheel, all you can do is transfer the damage into the transmission. Right. It's always the weakest link. That's right. So you're going to create a bigger problem. You'd be amazed how many people are giving that advice on, oh, the, on I, the Internet. I can believe it. So something you might want to read, see what you think about. There you go. A little piece of information to store away. Of course, while you're on there, you can do tons of other things. You can register for a free Agco Auto t-shirt just by doing the just Agco by. quiz. Quick there you quiz. Go. The quiz. And that is limit one to a customer. So believe it or not, we do have computer magic. We know if you send five <laughs> different names. <laughs> but pop on there and see what you think. It's www.agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. We think you'll really like it. And we've got Warren online. Good morning, Warren. Yes, sir. Yes, Good sir. morning. What can do for you? I've got a Chevy C1500. Okay. 5.3. Yes, sir. Uh-huh. And when you run it 15, 20 minutes, mm-hmm. kill it and try to restart it in 30 minutes. Uh-huh. Spins over real fast and runs kind of raggedy, and then it'll level out and it runs fine. Let me ask you, Warren, it spins a few times before it starts? Like it's kind of hard to start? 
A whole bunch. Yeah. I'm going to tell you, Warren, the most common thing on that, and there's two things that are common, but one's more common than the other, would be a bad fuel pressure regulator. Okay. And that's relatively easy to solve or to diagnose. If you look on the fuel rail. On the driver's side, fuel rail. Mm -hmm. You're going to see a little silver round thing with a vacuum line going to it. Yes, sir. Pull that vacuum line off and shake it. If any gas or any liquid comes out of that line, it's bad. Okay. Because what happens, the diaphragm will rupture in it, and it starts to suck gas into the The vacuum system, system, which floods the engine. Okay. So when you go to start it, it's got to clear that flood, and it's going to run ragged until it does. Okay. But that's the most common thing. Now, another thing that can cause it is a bad check valve in the fuel pump. And what happens there is that the fuel will drain back to the tank, which it shouldn't do. It should stay on the rail. And so it's got to push it all the way up from the back of the truck to the front. Now, the way you can diagnose that is next time you create the situation where it's going to occur, rather than cranking the truck, just turn it to own. Then turn it off and turn it back to own and do that about three times. Wait about five or ten seconds between cycles. Because each time you cycle ignition, it runs the pump for about two seconds. But then it shuts off. It won't keep running. But if you do that three or four times, it's going to push enough fuel up to the front. If it immediately starts and runs fine, then you're more likely to be into the fuel pump. Okay. Of course, the right way to check is put a fuel pressure gauge on it and turn it off and watch the fuel pressure drop off. But not right. everybody has a fuel gauge sitting around, a <laughs> fuel pressure gauge sitting around. <laughs> no kidding. And if I drive it mm-hmm. and just park it and let it sit overnight? Yes, sir. You hit the key one time, it cranks right yeah, up. Yeah, see, that's why yeah. I say the regulator is more common because overnight that gas would evaporate out of the intake, and so it would go ahead and start. If it was a fuel pump, it would be more likely it would still be hard to start. Okay, sir. All righty? All right. Thank you. Okay, Warren. Alrighty. Thank you, man. Bye-bye. All right, if you want to be part of the Automotive Eye, we would love to have you. And we've got Nathan on the line. Good morning, Nathan. Morning. Yes, Good sir. Good morning. Lewis, do you recommend any additives for use in ethanol gas? And that's for any engine, really, but automotive? No, it made the contrary, because most of the additives that you get, like your fuel injection cleaner and all that stuff, is a lot of that is ethanol. Because alcohol has a lot of drawbacks, but one benefit is it is a good cleaner, a very good cleaner. So when you're adding additives to the fuel, you already got ethanol in there, which is not the best thing in the world. At 10%. Yeah, 10%. 10%. You start dumping any kind of additives, and they make it a whole lot worse. Now, what is pretty important, in my opinion, is to buy a name-brand fuel rather than the private label and no-name fuels. Now, gasoline may be gasoline when it comes out that steel, but what you add to it after that is what makes it a unique product. On your no-name brands, they've got the federally mandated minimum additives. There's the minimum amount of detergent, the minimum amount of all the other stuff. The brand names tend to put different additives in there to accomplish other things, which helps to protect the engine. For instance, they may put more anti-corrosive chemical in there. They may put stuff that keeps the gas from boiling in the fuel rail. They may add things to it to give you better mileage. They put all sorts of things in that you get when you buy the better fuel. And if you check around, there's really not that much difference in price anymore. Are you talking you know, about a couple cents? Yeah, a couple cents, cents, maybe a nickel maybe. a gallon. You figure a dollar on a fill-up, man, one fuel pump, probably eight, 900 bucks. It just ain't worth it. You know, I always run the name brand fuels, and I like the Chevrons and the Exxons probably and the best especially a high flow station right you know a station is busy all the time they're mm-hmm. getting fresh fuel once or twice a week right that's the kind of station you want to look for yeah you don't want a station that's off on a off the beaten path where maybe they only fill in the tanks once a month because as that gas sits around see ethanol another thing that it does it tends to absorb moisture 
and maybe in certain parts of the country that's not as big a deal as it is here, but with the 100% humidity that we run very regularly, it can suck up a lot of moisture, particularly if the old tanks had a lot of sludge and all on the bottom. That ethanol is going to pick that up because it's going to clean the tanks, and we're buying it in the form of $3.5 gasoline. <laughs> so I don't love ethanol. I wish there was a way we could get around it, but until we start doing something about the politicians, I don't guess we're going to get much done there, but... Uh, that's a whole other story, but that's it. I would not add anything to it. All right. Uh, sorry, you must have dropped him now. I hope he got a complete answer to the question. Sounded real complete to me. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> that's a question that we get an awful lot about ethanol. Obviously, I'm not a fan of it. Right. For one thing, ethanol in its pure form has 33% less energy than gasoline. Right. So there goes 33% yeah. of your fuel mileage. Well, you're going to lose 10% of 33. So you're 3.3% of your mileage, but. When I'm paying three fifty to four bucks a gallon, I don't want to lose three point three percent of my mileage. <laughs> I want to go as far as I can go. That's it. It's also detrimental to a lot of the older vehicles, particularly if they had neoprene fuel lines. Most of the newer cars use nylon or something like that. Uh-huh. But on the older vehicles where you didn't have that, I'm not saying it's going to necessarily devastate it, but it's definitely going to speed it along. Particularly if you got an older car and the fuel lines are a little dry rod, a little crack, it may just go ahead and go finish, finish them off all. for you. That's right. So we see a lot of problems with that, fuel pumps going out and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. But not a whole lot we can do about it other than just accept it. I know there are some stations that purport to have pure gasoline, but in my experience, everyone I've seen has been like one, like we said, one of those little backwoods-type right. stations that – doesn't do a lot of volume, and I don't know if that's a good trade-off or not. I like buying from a big station that moves a lot of fuel. Right. That, that way you always have fresh fuel. Yeah, that's right. It, it just just makes more sense to me. Let's go back to our phone lines. We've got Ray online. Good morning, Ray. Good morning, Lewis. Uh, enjoy your show. Well, thank you, sir. i got a Toyota Avalon uh-huh. XL 2000. All right, sir. The problem is, is we've got a battery or a charging problem. Okay. The last week, got up, the car wouldn't start. Okay. Put, put a battery charger on there for about two mm-hmm. hours. She cranked right up. Yes, sir. Ran for almost a week. Got up on Friday morning, and it, you could tell she was laboring to get started. Yes, mm-hmm. Then yesterday evening, while driving down the road, the lights would flicker. Now, this is my girlfriend telling yes, me this sir. stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, the lights would flicker, and the radio would come on and off. Yes, sir. That's voltage is dropping low in the system. Right. Okay, that's kind of what I thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just I got over here, cranked it up for... And I put a volt ohm meter on the battery and yes, had her speed the engine up. You really had to speed the engine up a lot. I'm yes, sir. I think is necessary. Yes, sir. I'm not surprised. Ray, that sounds very, very typical of an alternator that's not producing at its full rate. It may be producing some, but you see, an alternator may be designed to put out on a Toyota Avalon probably 90 to 120 amps. Let's say one diode goes bad in it. That may drop down to 60 amps. Or let's say two go out, it may drop to 30 amps. Now, it's enough to say technically it's charging, so the light's not going to come on necessarily, but the battery is actually subsidizing the alternator. Like when you come to an idle and it can't put out enough, then the battery's making up the difference, which drains the battery down. Now, when it sits there all night, it goes dead. And the next morning, you jump it off and maybe you go drive it. As you get up to a higher speed, maybe it's putting some of it back in there. So it may be okay as long as you drive it a lot and drive it at a higher speed. But if it right. sits and idles for a while or sits overnight, it's going to go back down again. Now, the lights flickered is kind of a dead giveaway there, too, because what happens is system voltage starts to go down. The car's going to go nuts. You know, those computers have to have 12 volts to run. 
and eight to ten volts will crank the car. But you got to have a full twelve to run the computer. So you'll start seeing things like maybe an ABS light popping on or the radio going off station, or maybe even the air conditioner start blowing hot. Just all kind of crazy things. Real important, Ray, to get her to get that fixed right now because that can do a whole whole bunch of damage, including and not limited to tearing up the transmission on the car. Since everything is voltage-related and you start cutting voltage down, you start really affecting a lot of things you shouldn't be. So any good quality shop, I wouldn't go to a parts store, but any good quality shop can test that system and tell you exactly what you got. And if it's been happening for a week or more, she may end up having to buy a battery too because batteries really don't like going dead. If it's brand new, it may come back. But if it's a year or two old, the battery's probably going to be a casualty too. You know, Once you discharge them a few times, they're just not going to come back. And what's going to happen, you get a good alternator to work good for about a month, and then the battery will die. Okay. I'm charging the battery right now. I cleaned up the terminals, mm-hmm. and I'm going to put it all back together, yes, and then I'm mm-hmm. going to check it again. You know, well, Put a after. voltmeter across the two terminals and just measure the system voltage. And with that car running, that ought to be around 13 mm-hmm. and a half to 14 volts. Right. If it's down around 12 or anything like that, that alternator is probably not charging. Now, there's no way for you to test an alternator properly without load tests and all that stuff. Because the PCM controls it, and it's just beyond the realm of a do-it-yourself or to, to test it properly. But okay, and, and that's at idle? Yes, right. even at an idle, it ought to be putting out 13.5 volts. Okay. Because, see, just the base battery is going to be 12.5 or more. Okay. All righty. Just take your, right. reading, take your reading on the, across the battery. Mm-hmm. Check that voltage against with it running. Mm-hmm. Check it before saying, and check it out. You know, check it with it not running and check it with it running. Right. Like it should definitely saying, be an increase. It, it could be more than 12 volts. So you don't want to get messed up thinking right. that well, the alternator's putting out more than 12 and yeah, a half volts or something like that. A base 12-volt so. battery is going to put out more than 12 volts. Right. It's going to put out 12, close to 12 and a half. Yeah. And like I said, car, the systems normally operate 13 and a half to 14. Right. Okay. All righty. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yes, sir. yes sir. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. We're going to take a quick little break, and we'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Sir, how did you get in here? I used my grappling hook and climbed in through the window. Well, as long as you have an appointment. Ah, yes, Mr. B. Wing. Uh, why are you stressed about your job? Doc, I live in an area with a high crime rate, and part of my duty is to fight that crime. But lately, it seems like every time I turn around, someone needs my help. It's like this bright light signaling. Bat, what, I mean, B. Wayne, help us. Well, Mr. Wayne, there's not much I can do in regard to your crime-fighting dilemma. But if you want some peace of mind, bring your car in once a year to Agco for a general inspection. They'll inspect your vehicle bumper to bumper and let you know where you stand. And these guys are honest? Years ago, they advised me not to fix a minor electrical problem that I could live with because it was too expensive. They sound like good people. Okay, I've got to go. I sure wish he would use the door like a normal patient. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you just joined us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? You give us a call. We'll be glad to try to help you out. If you're a podcast listener, we'd appreciate hearing from you as well. That's right. Call and let us know what you think. That's right. Or... Let us know what you don't think. <laughs> <laughs> Got a question? Uh, that's right. Any, anything about your car, and of course, anything automotive. We basically we talk about gas and oil and everything else right. under the sun. Right. So, uh, Glad you mentioned that. You know, if you hadn't got your generators out yet, get them out. Yeah, get and them cranked up. With the hurricane going up the east coast, that's something that might be a timely yeah. matter. Yeah. And 
if you've got a generator at home, particularly a portable generator, there's a nice article site? on the site. You might just go in there on the search bar and just type in the word generator. And there's an article on using and re- starting and restarting your generator. Uh-huh. Because when a portable generator sits for a while, a number of things can happen to it, or any small engine for that matter. So you, you could apply the same things to your lawnmower or your weed right. eater or anything else. But when a generator or a small engine sits for a while, there are a number of things you may have to do to get it restarted. So it's a nice article, and it goes in all that in depth. So with the hurricane season on us and, of course, right. the hurricane on the East Coast, might be information that people can use. Be a good time. That's right. Pop on there and see what you think. And we've got a call from Brooks. Good morning, Brooks. Hey, good morning. Yes, good sir. Morning. Hey, I got a question. I, I got a 16-kilowatt generator. Yes, sir. And the oil filter is hard to get. And when you do find one, it's relatively expensive. Yes, sir. And you make a recommendation, I mean, on just a standard oil filter, should be able to work it now. It would depend on the threads and the base size, Brooks. There may be a way to adapt a normal, regular oil filter to it. And there may be a cross-reference. And there may be a cross-reference to it. If you go on the Internet and take the number off that oil filter and Google it, in other words, Google oil filter and the number or maybe cross-reference in the number. Right. There may be automotive applications that come up that will, like you said. I I know there are a few Mm -hmm. because one of our guys at the shop has a standby generator, Mm -hmm. and he adapted an automotive filter. Okay. Uh Cross-referenced an automotive filter to fit that little engine. Mm -hmm. And it's cheaper than the one that they want to sell you. (laughs) Yeah, and the filter is probably... A little bit less of an issue on a generator than the oil is. The oil is going to get contaminated because it sits so much, not because you run it so much. Whereas on a car, obviously you're running it and you got miles and you got debris and all that stuff to deal with. You could probably get by changing the filter every other oil change. Okay. Because the filter's not very likely going to stop up. It's not getting that much debris in it. It's just the oil is getting a lot of moisture content and all that in it, which goes right through the filter anyway. But you may be able to get by with something like that to cut your costs as well. Great. All right. Thank you. Okay, Brooks. You're welcome. Thank you, man. Bye-bye. All right. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, you got to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. One thing, too, if you've got some gasoline that you've had stored, that's something that many people know, but some don't, uh-huh. is that gasoline has a shelf life. It goes bad. Right. And... If you have some gasoline that you've had stored while the price is down, it might not be a bad idea to maybe get rid of that old gasoline and get you some fresh. Now, if it's not too old, then you could probably take and pour it into your car or truck it, and burn it. Use it a little bit at a time. Yeah. I put, would pour 20 gallons that's of, right. of old fuel, old fuel. In, a ve- in a vehicle. Right. But three or four gallons at each fill up. Right. It'll burn through. You won't notice it. And it'd be a good way to get rid of to it. To get rid of it and good without it. wasting your money. Right. And go, while like I say, while the price is down, go ahead and buy some new and add some of the additive to it, like stay build or something like that. Right. That has to be added when you buy the fuel. That's right. While because, it's fresh. While it's fresh, because it will not freshen old fuel, no. Cannot, but it will keep new fuel fresh longer. longer. It can't regenerate an old fuel. Correct. But it will definitely help to keep it fresh for a longer period of time. So with hurricane season coming, you're going to want fresh fuel for your generator. Oh, so most definitely. If you've got some that's three, four, five months old, you might want to go ahead and, like start. Brian said, start slowly adding it to your gas tank and burning it up, get right. rid of that. You don't want to dump it out anywhere, or if you have to get rid of it through the environmental process, right. it's going to be expensive. Well, and a lot of oil change places can take it because 
they take used oil and make heating oil out of it. So if you add gasoline to it in a limited amount, it just increases the BTUs of the oil. Uh-huh. Of course, you can't dump a whole lot in there because then the flammability factor goes up. Right. And flashpoint is one of the things they use to determine hazardous waste. So if you raise the flashpoint at all beyond a point, then you're going to have 500 gallons of hazardous waste in there. Exactly. And a big, 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 big problem. So, yeah, something to consider before you get to the situation where you need it. Exactly. Let's go to the phone lines with Randy. Good morning, Randy. Good morning. Uh, I got a question you've probably been asked a thousand times. All righty. Tire pressure. Do you go by what's on the tire or what's on the side of the door? Randy, I am glad you asked that question because that's an excellent question, and I have answered it a thousand times, but not recently. I've got an article on the website that goes in depth on that. But the short answer, if it's a car tire or a light truck tire. Uh, P-metric. Yeah, it starts with the letter P. And there's like P, 235, 75, 16, or something like that. Right. Then what you want to do is take the number on the sidewall and go 10% less than that. Okay. Now, for instance, if the sidewall says 44 PSI, then you want to start out around 40. Okay. Okay? Now, the number on the door of the car, the placard. That is not wrong, but that number is predicated on giving you a good ride, not tires lasting a long time. Okay. So you could take the door tag as the minimum. Don't You can't ever go below that because that's the amount of air required to support the weight of the vehicle. Right. But right. the tire maker is giving you the maximum amount of air the tire can hold. Right. So what you want to be is about 10% less than that because when you get on the highway and drive 70 miles an hour for 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 miles, that tire pressure is going to come up some. You don't want to ever exceed the maximum. So you want right. to check that cold. That yeah. is a cold pressure. Right. 10% below right. the max is cold. Right. So right. go ahead and right. check that. And like I said, that's going to give you optimum tire life and optimum gas mileage. Now, if you find it just rides a little too rough, come down some. Okay. But realize that as you're coming down, you're going to start to lose tire life and start to lose mileage. And right. you're going to start gaining a little tire wear. Right. you got to just kind of hit a happy medium. And you, it may not be it exactly, but 10% is going to put you real close in almost every application, and it's a real good starting point. Right. So 44 pounds go to about 40 pounds. That's, that's correct. Good. That's correct. Yeah. That's 30, what I need to do. 35 pounds, you go to about 32, which is about what most people are doing anyway, but it just kind of right. gives you a little formula. Now, on truck tires, that does not apply. If the tire starts with LT, then that's a load-rated tire, then this formula wouldn't apply to that because those are rated at 85 PSI, you know, so you could be overinflated. But on all car tires or tires that start with a P, that's going to apply. 10% lower than what it says, all right? The 10 under the max. Right. Appreciate it, man. Thank all right, you. Randy. Thank you, man. All right. All Bye-bye. Right. All right, we're going to take another quick little break, kind of get some of this business stuff out of the way. There you go. And we'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Ah, yes, Mr. Bigfoot. Uh, make yourself comfortable on the couch and tell me what has stressed you out. Uh, I'm just a secluded forest dweller, and I like it like that. But every now and then I get these people hunting me down. There's a TV show, jerky commercials, and now another movie. Then I worry about the hype. If they do find me, will my feet be big enough? Well, Mr. Foot, I can't really do much about these people, but I can tell you how to create some peace of mind in your life. Do like me and take your car to Agco once a year for a general inspection. They provide me an honest opinion on the maintenance and repairs I need now and in the future. They can even catch small issues that could lead to big expensive problems down the road. An Agco general inspection, huh? Oh, one more thing, Doc. Could you tell me where I can find this toilet paper? I've heard wonderful things about it. Here's Agco's number. And the name of another store that may ship some TP straight to your cave. Thanks, Doc. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. 
Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldezan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and just give us a call? And we're going back to our phone lines. We've got Frank online. Good morning, Frank. Hi, hi there. Good, Good morning. Great, All right, I got a 910 Cutlass Class. Actually, this is my son's car. All right, sir. Uh, it's probably one throwaway car. got new brakes on it. The engine's mm-hmm. running really good. However, the transmission looks like it's just going out on Oh, Lord. It runs in first gear, he says. Mm-hmm. And it'll go in reverse, but it's just only first gear. And it was yeah. running fine, and all of a sudden he's on the road, and just like it felt like it went into neutral on him. And yeah, it, yeah. He can go up to like 30, 35. Yeah, when you lose a gear completely like that, Frank, that's going to be a major internal problem. There's not going to be anything simple that could cause that. You know, that's, that's going to be direct clutches or forward sprag or something that's broken inside the transmission. What you could try to keep the cost halfway reasonable is maybe look around, see if you can find a used transmission to put into it. The problem you're going to have with a 20-year-old vehicle is any transmission you find is either going to have 10 billion miles on or it's been sitting around for a long time, either one yeah. of which is bad. So maybe one of those things where it just depends on how much you like the car. I mean, you could cough up the bucks and get that one rebuilt, and it doesn't cost as much as rebuilding some of the newer stuff, but it's still probably 1500 to two grand to, to build that transmission. Of course, I guess the other side of the story is if you like the vehicle, what you go buy for two grand. No, you, you've already answered the question. You said it's not going to be an easy fix, so it is no. the transmission. It's oh, no yeah. yeah. Or anything. No, there's nothing on the outside on that that could keep you from having a gear. You know, it's going to be something broken in it, and there may be some way to repair it. But, again, going in and doing a repair on a transmission that old is kind of like doing a heart transplant on a man 100 years old. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just there's not going to be anywhere to stop when you get in there. Okay. Well, you answered my question. All right, Ms. Frank. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye-bye. Right. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we'd love to have you. And we got Garth on the line. Good morning, Garth. Hey, good morning. Good yes, morning. Good morning. I got a 97 Nissan hard body pickup truck. Okay. Uh, I don't drive it that often because I got a company vehicle. Yes, sir. I you know, have limited personal use on. Uh-huh. And I was pretty good about running it every couple of weeks just to crank it up and make sure it was going to run. Well, a couple of weeks turned into several months. Yes, sir. I cranked it up, and it was smoking, wasn't really getting to get up. And I got a, got a neighbor who came by and quickly diagnosed. He says, you got bad gas. Okay. Let that ethanol gas do too long. So I had about an eighth of a tank. Mm-hmm. I went and dumped five gallons of fresh gas. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it got me about a half mile and just killed. Okay. Won't start start a crank now. So maybe I had still had too much bad gas in there. So you know, when, I, when it was killing, it made a, a little poop sound and then yeah. start steadily die from there. What do you think is causing my problem now? Well, it could be a number of things, Garf. One thing is that when that bad gas got into the fuel pump, particularly on a fuel pump that old, it may have just finished it off. You know, I'm not saying it wouldn't have went out sooner or later anyway, but it may have just killed the fuel pump. That's pretty easy to diagnose if you've got a fuel pressure gauge. You can put it on there and see if you've got fuel pressure or not. But that would be one possibility that would kind of make sense. Old, nasty gas gets in there. It kind of does its damage. You put the fresh gas in there. It tries to push it through, but it just can't. It kills the pump. Well, not so, to mention it may have contaminated the gas tank, and then the fresh gas broke some of that loose. Right. Got right. in the pump. That would the line. be the first thing. Now, obviously, there's always a possibility. It could be something totally unrelated. Correct. Could be a rodent, you know, a little squirrel or something got on the hood and chewed one of the wires on one of the sensors. So you're just about going to have to tow that thing into someone who knows what to do and let them diagnose it for you. It's just be way, way cheaper to do that than to go start throwing parts at it. Because yeah, there's no, just I'm too many possibilities there. Right, I'm definitely not a mechanic. I was just kind of can guys can give dollar amounts over the phone, but hey, fuel pump. If, if that's the problem, how much? That's pretty pricey. It's gonna be up in probably five, six hundred dollar range, easy. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. All right, okay, well, I'll, I'll be towing it somewhere soon. Okay, man. Okay. All right, Garth. Thank Thanks. you, man. Bye, bye. All right, if you want to be part of the automotive hour, we'd love to have you. 
And let's see, we have got Daryl's been patiently holding. Good morning, Daryl. Good morning. How are you? Doing Good great, morning. sir. I have an 05 Envoy. Okay. And I bought it last November. Uh-huh. Right now it has 100,000 miles on it. Okay. When I started, not putting it in drive or anything. Yes, sir. It has a high, well, it sounds like a turbo jet. Yeah. Whining noise. Okay. Then it goes off. What is that? Well, when does it do it? Is it sitting still before you put it in gear? Sitting still. What and happens when you put it in gear? It'll do it a little bit longer, then it dies out. Okay, it'll still do it, though. It doesn't make any difference being in or out of gear? No, sir. Most likely, Daryl, that's going to be one of the accessories on the front of the motor. The idler pulleys are those bearing-driven pulleys that guide the serpentine belt. They're kind of bad about that. There's two of them on there. There'll be one on the tensioner. And there'll be another one, which is just an idler pulley. And those are available separately. In other words, you can buy just a pulley without buying the whole tensioner. And they're relatively inexpensive. That would be one thing. Now, the alternator can do the same thing. The power steering pump can do the same thing. The, oh, geez, the water pump can do the same thing. What we normally do on that in order to diagnose it is temporarily remove the serpentine belt. Just make sure you draw a diagram of how it goes back on. Right, because they're <laughs> kind of tricky at times. You can put them on wrong, and they'll they'll actually turn the water pump backwards sometimes right, or right. something like that. But so. I know nothing about what – I've worked on my vehicles throughout the years, mm-hmm. but not this, this is too new, and mm-hmm. I'm just – have somebody remove the serpentine belt and then crank it up. And if the noise is gone, then oh, it's one of the accessories on the front of the motor. Then what they'd do is just go in by hand, turn each one, and see if they can pick up one with some slack in it or one that has noise in it. There are other ways. We have stethoscopes, electronic stethoscopes. We can listen to it, ultrasound machines and all that sort of thing where you can identify where the noise is coming from. So it's all sorts of ways for a shop to do it. But trying to do it yourself is going to be a little difficult, particularly if you're yeah. not pretty handy. But it, well, it most likely, if it doesn't in and out of gear, then it's most likely going to be one of the accessories on the motor. If it went away when you put it in gear or got worse when you put it in gear, a transmission can make a noise like that. That don't scare me. But generally, <laughs> that is going to be affected by going in and out of gear. Well, that, and it sounds like the engine's revved up, but it's not the engine because the RPMs aren't moving on my gauge. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah, it's going to be something that's being driven now. There's also a fan on the front of that vehicle that's pretty problematic. It's an electronically controlled fan that can make some noise. I've never heard it make a whining noise. Normally it makes a roaring noise. Sounds like like a turbo. Like the engine's running up fast, but it's not? Uh Uh-huh. Okay, well, that may be that fan locking up when it shouldn't. They're kind of notorious for that. The fan clutch on there is electronically controlled, and it can go to lock up with the engine sitting still, and it'll sound like the engine's coming out of the truck. Just well, yeah, that's pretty common failure on that vehicle. There's a flash update that helps, and there's also a revised clutch for it. But you're going to have to replace that clutch to fix that, because if it unlocks when it shouldn't, it can make the vehicle overheat. Okay, okay. And there's well, a special... Yeah, as long as it's sticking when it on when it shouldn't, all it's going to do is make a bunch of noise and drag the motor down, maybe cut your gas mileage. But okay. the same thing that makes it do that can make it not come on when it should. Which, Which would give you a cooling problem. Right. Okay. All right. So something you need to get looked into. Well, I'd like to thank y'all for having your show. I listen to y'all all the time. Well, and good I deal. Call. I mean, I've never called, actually. Oh, well, good. I appreciate but, you calling. Um, thank you. And y'all have a good day. Okay, Darren. You're very informative. Well, well thank, thank you, you very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hi, right, if you want to be part of the Automotive Iron, we're going to try to catch one more call for the break. we got Glenn on the line. Good morning, Glenn. Good morning, gentlemen. Yes, good sir. Good morning. Got a couple of transmission questions okay. for you. My son's cars. One of them is 95 Acura Legend. Yes, sir. 
and it four-speed overdrive, mm-hmm. right? Yes, sir. It doesn't seem to go into – it goes into fourth gear, but it doesn't come out of uh, – it doesn't seem to go into overdrive. At 50 miles an hour, the thing's uh, revving about 2,400, 2,500 RPM. It should be, you know, around 18, 17. And you can feel the – the, the four gears, right? And then you—it's either I don't know if it's a torque converter. Lock well, up, it isn't. yeah, it's only got four gears in it. Fourth right. gear technically is overdrive, but it does right. also have what they call torque converter lockup. Right. And if it doesn't go lockup, your RPMs are going to increase relative to your vehicle speed. Exactly. And the gas mileage is going to go down. Now, on, you said it's a ninety-five model. Yes, sir. Yeah, see, 95 won't catch that. Or 96, it would kick a check engine light on, but 95 is not OBD2, so it probably That's doesn't check that. Thinking, yeah. yeah, you know what you could do to kind of verify it yourself, just sort of a country boy way of doing it, Glenn, is get it up to the speed you want to be at, watch your tack, watch your speedometer, and just reach over with your left foot and just touch the brake pedal while keeping your foot on the gas right. and see if the RPM changes. And Because, uh. see, when you touch that brake pedal, it's coming out of lockup if it's in lockup. Right, so if right. you do that, it speeds up by 200 RPMs, then you got lockup. If it doesn't, right. then you don't have lockup. And you don't have it. And mm-hmm. I think that's what the case is. Sounds like it. several different things. Uh, is that common on that? Yes, yeah, sir. They had a lot of trouble with torque converters in those, particularly the 98 to 2004 were actually under recall for that kind of a problem. The 95 wasn't included in it, and it would be expired anyway because it was only seven years. But, yeah, they right. did have a number of problems with that particularly if anyone's ever serviced it and didn't put the Honda fluid back in. Honda's got their own fluid, which helps with that problem. But if it was ever serviced and somebody put regular Dex 3 or something in it, that can definitely make that worse. It's already a problem. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, will it improve it if we were to drain and, and reservice? Probably not. Certainly not going to hurt a whole lot to do it, but it probably won't fix this problem. If lockup's gone, it's a mechanical or electrical clutch that has to lock, and if it's burned out, it's done. You can I service guess. that yourself real easy, Glenn. Just yep. buy some Honda fluid. You're going to need seven quarts for that one. Yep. And what you do, just take the plug out, drain three and a half out, Fill it, go drive it about 20 minutes, come back, and immediately do it again. Because when you turn it off the second time, what happens, all the fluid runs from the torque converter back through the filter and kind of washes the filter out. So if you drain it immediately, you can get it out of there. And and that second pass, I drain everything out, right? Well, only three and a half quarts is all you can get out. Oh, I got you, I got you. Okay, so you're cycling that through the torque converter. That's correct. Just do it twice, and you're going to get seven quarts out. And You have to go to a Honda dealer to buy that fluid. We buy it by the cases, but we have to buy it through a Honda dealer. That's just the only way to get it. Yeah, they're the same way with the power steering. Yeah, same, same thing. Okay, I'll tell you what, Glenn, if you can hold on through the break, i got to take one real quick. Just hang on. No, I put, no problem. No yeah, problem. you'll be straight up after the break. Hey, we're going to take another quick little break. We'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. So lie back on the couch, Ms. Bo Peep, and tell me what's got you stressed. Ugh, my sheep keep getting lost. I mean, they're in the meadow one minute, and I look down at a text, and then I don't know where to find them. And they keep doing it. Let me level with you, Doc. Sheep are not the smartest animals. But you, Denise, you're the exception. Look, Doc, you ever try to have a conversation with a sheep? It's a little one-sided. They just look at you with this blank look on their faces. That and the whole getting lost thing has me at my wit's end. I can't really help you with losing sheep, but I can tell you how to get a little peace of mind. Do like me and take your car into Agco Automotive once a year for a general inspection. They check everything out and perform maintenance on what you need to keep your car running right, and it saves money in the long run. 
With the money I save, I can buy some shock collars to keep those little halfwits in one place. <laughs> Denise, you know I wouldn't do that to you. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. Please join us at the Automotive Hour. Louis Alexander, president of Agco Automotive, got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here by my side. Between the two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. And we were talking to Glenn about some problems he was having. What was the second question, Glenn? All right, the second vehicle, a 95 Nissan Pathfinder, ah. four-wheel drive automatic transmission. Okay. And it stopped flicking into reverse. But what was happening initially, anyways, my son found this out, he said, he could get it rolling backwards, and then he could drive around the block backwards if he wanted to. And now it won't go at all. I was thinking that, that might be that solenoid pack, but but I don't know. Maybe now the bands are gone because it didn't. Yeah, it was probably slipping, and it just didn't have enough oomph to engage it from a stop. Right. But getting rolling, you're sorry, rolling so it would engage good enough. Normally on that, Glenn, and I'm not sure if Josh is on to tell you, but normally when you lose second gear, you can lose something else too. Like either right. you, when you use reverse, you'll lose like second gear or something. Does it hesitate a long time between one, two shift or any of that stuff? No. No, it doesn't. That's what that's what that's what blows me away. I figure yeah. I figure the same thing. And yeah, because usually it's two gears are together. Right, right, right. So I'm not sure what other one hooks in. Sometimes it's first gear, sometimes it's second gear, maybe something else. But there's probably something else that's not working in it. Most of the time, Glenn, when you lose a gear completely like that, it's going to be a fairly major repair inside the transmission. There's not right. any kind of sensor or anything like that that's going to cause you to lose one oh, one whole it. gear. Especially on a 95. Yeah, yeah, those those didn't have a whole lot of electronics on them anyway. Yeah. So you, you're there most is, likely going to be... a solenoid pack in there. It is, but... one for every gear in reverse, but... Uh, yes, sir, but it would oh, knock out more than one gear, I think. Oh, I see. I see what you're saying. Okay. So Great. most likely, particularly if it was going in before and it's not now, it was probably slipping and it just finally burned out. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean it would be a complete rebuild, although on a vehicle that old, you're almost yeah. going to be in the one when you get in there. But some things can be repaired. Yeah. might want to bring it into a transmission specialist, let him just look at it and see. They can tell a whole lot by doing a pressure test and just see what the pressure's doing because if a solenoid's not working, the pressure won't be rising when you shift verse. Oh, I see. So oh, it's well, pretty easy to diagnose from the outside. That? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, Josh Wilson does nothing but transmissions all day long. Oh, great. Great. Oh, okay. Alrighty. All right, appreciate it. Okay, Great sir. Show, guys. Thank Keep you, sir. Mm-hmm. Bye bye. All right, you want to be part of the automotive hour? We'd love to have you. And we got Greg online. Good morning, Greg. Hey, Lewis. Good morning. How are you doing? Doing great, sir. I have a 2001 GMC Sierra pickup truck. Okay. With the, uh, 5.3 liter V8 in it. Yes, sir. 95,000 miles. This thing sounds like a diesel when when you crank it up and run it. Whether you're in drive, sitting idle, doesn't seem to make any difference. It sounds like a diesel motor. Like a rattling, knocking kind of a noise? Yeah, like just think about a metal lathe and the sound that happens when you hear that. Yeah, that, um, that's not good. It sound good. It goes up and down with the speed of the engine? It does. I figure maybe it's an idler pulley or something like that. So well, it's possible. So belt and still there. So. Yeah, the only thing, Greg, other than a internal engine problem would be possibly a cracked flex plate like we were talking about earlier in the show. You might pop on the website and at the left-hand side, go down the first article on there will be on cracked flex plates. If that flex plate cracks, it makes a noise almost identical to like a rod knocking or something. You know, when you speed it up. Yeah. Those get misdiagnosed as bad engines all the time. 
And there is a way you could check for it. It's a little difficult for you to do at home, but what you would have to do is jack it up, take the shield off at the bottom, take the bolts off where the torque converter and the flex plate bolt together, and push the torque converter back into the transmission, and then crank it up and see if the noise is gone or greatly changed. And that's how you can identify it. Actually, it's kind of hard to do in the driveway, but pretty easy in a shop. But if it's not that and it's not an idler pulley on the outside, then it's most likely going to be an internal engine failure. Yeah, it sounds like it's really low in the crankcase. Yeah, rod or something. And, I mean, I changed the oil myself, and mm-hmm. I have not seen any signs of metallic contamination in the oil. Well, you just don't always see it, though. We had a Ford come in not too long ago, had a heck of a knock, and really fooled me. I swore it was a timing chain or something. No metal in it or anything. We finally pulled the pan off, and, I mean, when I'm telling you the bearing was completely gone on number two, it was the bearing backing was rubbing on the crankshaft. Yeah. So, most likely you're going to be in something like that. But check that flex plate because that fools an awful lot of people. I'll do it. All righty. Thank you, sir. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. All right, we've got time for a few more calls. We're going to line with Marvin. Good morning, Marvin. Yes, sir. Good morning. I have good a morning. question for you on a 2004 mm-hmm. Chevy Silverado. Yes, sir. The speed I'm going to quit working. Okay. Yes, sir. Very common. How many miles you got? 137. Yeah, you're, out, you're out of warranty on that. See, yeah. that was under a recall up to 70,000 miles. Mm-hmm. But the recalls ended after that, and they're not going to do anything for you. Marvin, at Agco, we can rebuild your speedometer for you. We rebuild the whole instrument cluster a lot cheaper than you can buy another one. Of course, there's probably other people who do as well. But what we do, you pull it out, and there's six little stepper motors in there that were just bad design from GM. They had that trouble, I think, from 03 to 07. And we changed all six of the stepper motors, and we also changed the 11 little light bulbs. And so that way, you've got pretty much a good dash, and you can go back from now on. Okay, does it take very long to do that? It takes about two hours, two and a half hours in the shop. Oh, outstanding. Oh, so, so thank you. I appreciate it. I'll be coming in to see you. Okay, Marvin, thank you, sir. Bye-bye. Right, thank you. Bye-bye. Uh-huh. Hi, if you want to be part of the automotive fire, we'd love to have you. That was a real problem that GM had. Right. And they kind of cheesed out of that. They, <laughs> Well, they extended the warranty up to 70,000 miles on the trucks and the Suburbans, I think. Uh-huh. But the Impala, the Malibu, all of them have the the same. The whole line. Well, they all use the same exact motor. Right. That that goes bad. It's the same defective part in all of them. And in some other cars, I I know a Saab uses it, and there's some others out there that use the same little cheesy GM motor. Right. Because GM suppliers supply a lot of other folks also. GM owns half a Saab. Well, yeah, or all of it. 50%. All Uh, of it, maybe. I think it's all of it now, yeah. Who knows? They bought 50% a while back, and I think they ended up buying the whole thing. Or they just threw it in with a deal. (laughs) (laughs) I shouldn't talk so bad about European cars. (laughs) (laughs) That is a problem throughout the entire GM line. It really is. Most of the time, they fail around 100 to 110,000. So extending the warranty to 70 really didn't do folks a whole lot of good. No, (laughs) No, not really. But I guess. GM being what GM is. One other thing, too, that they just recently recalled is where the blower motors go out on them. Right. Uh, of course, they're not fixing, in my opinion, the real problem. They're changing the connectors and the blower transistor, which burns up. But what we found, the reason those burned up is because the motor is pulling too much amperage. Correct. But they will put you another pigtail on there, another resistor if it's burned up. So, so when they, at least get you down the road till the motor burns up, burns right. them up again. <laughs> right. So when they get done, you need to get the amperage checked on the motor and right. probably get it changed. Right. And they just will not hear that. They're no. not changing that motor. I, I don't understand that. What do you think burned that connector up? Yeah. It didn't just burn <laughs> up just because. But they did recall that recently, and I think they extended that one out to like 150,000 wow. miles. I think they were scared that because the connector's burning up, they could possibly be Pitch into fire. a fire hazard and maybe Correct. 
if the Highway Traffic Safety Administration gets a hold of it, it's going to be a whole lot tougher on them. Oh, yeah. So a voluntary recall is a whole lot better than a safety recall. So I think that's probably why they did it. They hadn't had a history of just voluntarily no. <laughs> doing the no. right thing, in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're going to help our customers out here with this little problem. Uh-huh. How about those heads that crack on those five threes? You want you to do something about that. <laughs> right. Right. Well, those get out of warranty, so yep. that, that doesn't matter. Yeah, as long as it makes it out of warranty, you're that's good. That's right. That is something, if you happen to have that problem, that's where you're driving along, you turn your air conditioning on, and no air comes out of the dash. That's pretty common on them. I know we used to fix an awful lot of them before they got un- under this recall. and We're still now, fixing a few. Well, yeah, the ones that are either out of the recall or people who just don't want to have to fool with the recall process. They'd rather Correct. just pay you to go ahead and fix it right and be done with it. But can at least get the pigtail and possibly the transistor changed free of charge. Uh, by taking it back in and complaining about it, as long as you got less than 150,000 miles. so Right. That's one more of those things. <laughs> <laughs> it's a car. It's going to break. That's it. Well, and some break, break a whole lot more than others. Isn't that the truth? What kind of gets me is that when the same exact component fails on every one of a certain model at roughly the same mileage, right? then clearly we've got a design got a problem. issue here. Yeah, I mean, I understand something well, going wrong on a car it's just like that steering shaft they've been running for 30 years yeah well since 1988 was it or 89 something, whenever something they like changed body clunk, style clunk, 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 in the front end yeah they're still using it yeah but what you gonna do <laughs> <laughs> pick the least of the three evils yeah i try to pick the least of the evils it's kind of like with politicians you just want the guy that's gonna screw me the least exactly <laughs> exactly i gave up hope on trying to find somebody <laughs> to actually help me you know <laughs> Hey, we're just about out of time here, so we want to go ahead and give a big old thank you out there to all our podcast listeners. Thank you for listening this week and every week, and continue listening and That's right. tell your friends so we can get some more people listening. That's right, and of course, now you can get the Automotive Hour on iTunes, which makes it real convenient. Oh, yeah. Just pop on iTunes, and it's listed right on up in there. Great. Not one of the top later shows yet, but yet, <laughs> who yet, knows? Yeah, <laughs> yet. That's, That's right. the Hope springs eternal, man. There you go. <laughs> hey, we want to tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on Automotive Hour. Preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.